Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host, per usual, Thomas from Virginia. Oh, wait. Thomas from Hoke Outdoors. How are you doing tonight, Thomas? Good. Good, Jordan. The original co-host, actually. <laughs> Don't tell Elliot, Elliot that. Forget. Yeah, I can't let Elliot forget that. <laughs> yeah, so if you can't figure it out, it's not my my per usual co-host. We got Thomas with us tonight. Hot off the heels of an out of state adventure. Um, and those videos have been pretty, pretty cool. So um we'll we'll dive into that a little bit more on today's podcast. But how you been doing, man? Having a good season? Yeah, we just got back into our third split of the Virginia Duck season now. So we run from um basically the second to last week of December clear through the end of January. So been trying to get out as much as possible. Tomorrow will be the uh, sixth day in a row I've hunted. So trying to just get in as many hunts because I'm on winter break right now. And uh, it's been pretty good. Been a pretty good start to the season. We got little cold snap coming in the morning. So hopefully I'm hoping that we're going to have some ice and maybe a, a fresh little push of birds because things are getting a little bit stale already, which is kind of typical for this time of year around here. Yeah. Yeah, how much longer you got in your uh, your season for ducks anyway? We go clear through the end of January. Okay, so you got through January thirty first. Yep. Nice. Yeah, we're. Uh, I don't even. I don't even know what that day falls on. I don't know if it's a Monday or a Tuesday this year. or What? It's a but, Monday this year. Yep. Okay. Well, that's good for me. No classes. There you no go. Classes on Mondays for my spring semester. So there you I go. Get to hunt that last day. Awesome. Yeah, unfortunately, ours <laughs> locally here ends um, in a week from Monday. Yeah, a week from Monday for me. So it's it's coming to an end. I think that I will probably get on more ducks somewhere after it closes for us. I just don't think I can go the rest of the season without doing something. But <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, there's got to be a couple states around you that go a little bit later, right? Well, Indiana does too. Like Central Zone and Southern Zone go uh, through January, not to the end, but partially. So I don't know the exact dates on that, but that's something that I could do. Usually though, we start getting in the geese pretty good. And I'm a fan of, you know, hitting up those late season geese too. We have a lot of fun on that one. So, um, I mean, they, they come in in piles. It's hard not to get excited about hunting those. So just pretty much once it ends, I say, unfortunately, but it's like, we get a lot of geese. And that's our time to shine for, for late season goose. And I just kind of transitioned to that and, and do pretty good with that. So, Yeah, nice little change of pace for sure. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, we, get, we, have the same, we have the same thing out here. I mean, our, for two weeks after our duck closes, we'll, we'll get to chase some late season geese around. Unfortunately, we don't typically get the, the ice and snow that y'all y'all <laughs> seem to have pretty much every year, but we'll give them a good shot no no matter what. Man, I was just thinking to myself before we got on here today, and I was doing a little, we both, we were just talking about the weather, but I was 
having a little pity party by myself, thinking about the weather and how crappy it's going to be. I mean, it goes from this cold front to warming up three days. It's going to be 50 degrees plus on Christmas Day, and then we open back up. And I'm like, man, I've only got to hunt in the snow one time this year in Michigan. It's like, like, what is going on? Like, why, <laughs> why is this such a mild winter again? I'm getting sick of it. It's like three years in a row it feels like we've had mild winters above average and then previous to that you know it's just it's just so much better when we have uh we have that weather and and can get get birds coming down have fun snow hunts on the last split and all that and it's just it's not going to happen this year so yeah i mean it's been four years in a row now on the east coast here especially like mid-atlantic area of virginia I know we had really cold winter, 17, 18. We were actually north of the ice line, which I had never experienced before when I'd been waterfowl hunting. And then it feels like we're almost getting punished for how good our weather was you know, <laughs> that year. Every year it's gotten warmer and warmer. It's every year I'm like, it can't get any warmer than this. We can't have any less of a migration yeah. and then just get proven wrong. So yeah, I haven't, we haven't even had a dusting of snow out here yet. And, <laughs> extended forecast does not look good so yeah we'll just uh i guess stick to the swamps and keep trying to hunt and hunt the birds where they are yeah the thing about mother nature is she usually averages herself out so it's like we get three four years in a row it's like we're bound to have two or three years in a row of, of good weather and cold years but you know it doesn't make you feel any better better right now so it's just like hang on <laughs> hopefully next year we get back to those cold cold temperatures have a cold second split get some freeze out and get on the river because i love i love being um north of the ice line as you called it but i I love getting that kind of hunting and that kind of weather uh where we get to hunt and it doesn't happen every year but man the years it does it's like you can have some really really cool hunts yep and then also i mean you always if that year 17 18 like that was the first year i really got to see a reverse migration, a heavy one, you know, the ice line moved back North and a big push of birds came with that. So that was really cool. And I'm a little envious of the guys, you know, on the central flyway who get that, get that pretty consistently. Cause that's a cool weather pattern to hunt. You know, you get birds, fresh birds coming up from the South, which I don't know, we haven't seen here on the East coast in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just increases your chances too. Cause like right now we're just waiting for cold front, north wind days pushing birds it's like it doesn't matter when you're uh <laughs> when you're in that situation in the central flyway and i think they experience it more too because they get the extended seasons i mean elliot over there in kansas and i i believe matt too they i mean they go pretty far for duck season go pretty pretty late into the year i mean you have the same one you you go till january 31st which is as late as you can go so um but you know for them they get more of that weather puts them in that situation yeah. a little bit more for sure all righty well let's get a quick word from our partners and then we'll jump back into the podcast so first off I'd like to give a big thanks to onyx guys onyx has probably been hands down this year the the most helpful thing for me i've picked up more spots this year than the previous four or five put together so onyx in the palm of your hand you're able to pull up an app see property lines, see public land boundaries. Um, But for the private land spots, getting those, man, you just click on it. It shows you the tax owner's information right there. You can go to the door right then. You know, it's it's better to do it right away 
knock on the door and you find out if it's a yes or no. Um, you're going to get a lot of no's, but you're going to get even more no's if you can't even find them. You know, but Onyx puts you right on the spot. Find the landowner, get permission, and bam, out there with another spot. So check them out, guys. Onyx.com, mobile, PC. It's perfect. Also like to give a big thanks to Motion Ducks. Thomas, you're a big fan of Motion Ducks, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I love love my Motion Ducks. I've been using, gosh, I think my ultimate spreader for three years now, and I just got the shallow water spreader this year. So that's been a huge help in the swamps or you know, shallow six to 12 inch swamps been using that a lot this year. Yeah. And we, we talk a lot about the, the original spreader and the ultimate spreader. Um, but also I've got some questions here lately. Does it work with geese? Yes, it does work with geese. They make an extra large extended version that works better with the large goose decoys. Get some further part. Um, but yeah, they, you can find all those products over there on their website. Gone are the days where you have to worry about those no win days. You can put ripples right through your set and increase your success with the Motion Ducks. It's a jerk rig on steroids. Um, use code DuckGun2020 for 10% off over there at motionducks.com. Also, like to give a big thanks to Tetra, Tetra Hearing. They are Elliot and I's choice of hearing protection for hunting. Um, and the hard fact on that guys is nine, one out of every nine waterfowl hunters uses hearing protection. So those other eight, man, we got to worry about that. And I know for me, that's something that I didn't do early on in my hunting and already just with my limited amount of time already can feel some of the repercussions of that Elliot a lot more so. So definitely protect your ears, protect your hearing. That's something you can't get back. I know countless hunters in their old age, hard of hearing, with hearing aids or that just don't. And it's very un, uh, <laughs> unenjoyable to talk to people who keep saying, huh, what, and all that kind of stuff. Not to mention the worst part about it, which is the dementia and the health issues that come up along with that. So check them out, guys. Tetrahearing.com and get yourself protected. Alrighty. Also like to give a big thanks to Bandit, Avery, and Greenhead Gear. My go-to for this year has been the Marina, the Marina Wool base layer. I've been raving about that the last few podcasts because it's getting cold and being able to wear that and stay warm, it is it is awesome. Moisture wicking and it just it's just an awesome base layer. They got everything you need from the camo, from the base layer, the gloves, the hats, the decoys, dog gear, boat stuff blinds everything is the one stop shop for the duck hunter at banded.com all righty guys also check out freelance hunt stats that's something that me and Elliot have been working on all the flyways guys thomas included have been using that running our numbers on the leaderboard too which is a cool feature we've added here in the last year um, just for fun keeps track of your bird numbers and all that um, you can put in your weather your weather information tons of ways to journal your hunting every time you go out there. And this year, we've got it on an app for Apple and Android. So check it out, guys. Search for Hunt Stats in your preferred app store, and you'll find it. So, already, let's go ahead and jump back into the podcast. Alrighty, Thomas, let's hear let's hear from you about your trip out to Idaho. Well, basically, I mean, it was really impromptu. I had uh, a 
plane ticket to come out to Nebraska for the Flyways Collective in early November, and unfortunately, we couldn't make that happen this year. So, um, Matt's uh, fault, by the way. Matt decided not yeah, to host Matt, us. Yeah, I mean, he told us to kick rocks. So that's on him. <laughs> but uh, so I had a contact out in Idaho. Someone basically I just met through through Instagram, and uh, we got on a phone call with him and set up a four day trip out there. And man, I'm so glad I did. I mean. Every time I travel to hunt, it's uh, an eye-opening experience, and hunting out there was probably the most eye-opening I've had since I've got into waterfowl hunting. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was definitely super cool. And then hearing some things from you on it, um, you know, I, I've watched the first video you put out on it. You guys can check all this out over there on his YouTube channel, Hoke Outdoors. Is that right? Is Hoke Outdoors? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not. Not Virginia Outdoors Unlimited, formerly known as Virginia Outdoors Unlimited. Um, But I think one of the craziest things was that they don't hunt with their blinds brushed in. Yeah, I mean, really, when I hopped in the boat that first day, I was like, okay, are we going to brush it in (laughs) out there or or what's going on? But then we get out to the spot and there's no brush around the edges there. I mean, these lakes are are basically just rocky shorelines. So, Well, here's a question on that. Do you think that having it brushed in, though, I feel like it wouldn't have been a detriment to have it brushed in, though, right? Probably not. I, I don't think it would have looked particularly unnatural. I mean, there was some clumps of grass here and there, but it's just like it's just another thing to obscure your view and make shooting a little harder. So if you're if you feel well enough hid with just a you know a hard side poke blind with no brush, then why add any brush? Did he did he have to put? Um anything over like the hard edges or hard corners or are the birds really not blind shy at all? Really not blind shy at all. Um, I mean, he did put a piece of, uh, a piece of camo netting over his motor to cover that up, but that was it. No, I mean, yeah, I was not too far from Canada. And one thing I didn't really think about till I was up there is, you know, you're South of British Columbia and I'm pretty sure British Columbia is the least hunted Canadian province of them all. So you're getting those birds coming out of, you know, the valleys of British Columbia, pushing down pretty consistently. And they just, it doesn't seem like they get a lot of stale, they don't get stale birds too often. There's typically at least a handful of fresh birds around from, from what I saw and what they were telling me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a, a little, a little different from probably what you or me are used to on the education side of birds, but um, I was also curious, was it part of the strategy to, um, park next to a dock to make it look like you're just a, a docked boat? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it is actually because they, the guy I hunted with Scott, he actually drags those docks around the bay he hunts and places them strategically before the season. And I don't think it's necessarily really to look like a docked boat. It's more just to have, you know, a little platform to step off the boat uh, okay. and to work, to work the dogs off of, yeah. um, but I'm sure it probably also looks like a dock <laughs> boat because um, that area I was in, there was actually like that's that's a big lake, and they store a lot of the docks from that lake out in that cove during the winter, huh. um, so that they don't you know get smashed up on shore by a, a storm or something. So they anchor all those docks out there. So I guess a dock and a boat really doesn't, or a dock and a big box really doesn't look unnatural. Yeah, no, I definitely was cracking up when I saw that, um, and I. 
that was a joke to be honest i just i'll figured it was a, a a good place to hunt and the doc just happened to be there but that's interesting to know that he moved them around so way mm-hmm. way up there in northern idaho um i mean how was the weather it started off really good first day it was snowing when we got to the boat ramp pretty chilly like 29 degrees and I think they're close enough to the coast there that they don't, you know, get super cold weather a lot. I mean, he said that they're supposed to get down to negative two next week. So I don't want to speak out of turn and say they don't get cold weather. But it seems like, you know, they get a lot of precipitation, but it's right there around the freezing point a lot of the time. So we started off snow on the first day and then it ended up transitioning to rain. But birds are flying really good in the snow that first morning. And then it kind of just progressively got milder. Um, second day we had a little bit of rain and it was just a little bit warmer. And then the third day, uh, we had no rain or no precipitation and it was a little bit warmer again. So the hunting got a little bit tougher each day. Um, but still, you know, seeing way more birds than I'm used to here in Virginia. <laughs> so I can't complain at all. Oh yeah. And Pacific flyway, everybody else in the, all the other flyway is going to be jealous, but seven mallards. Yeah. And did you make it to seven mallards? Get, yeah, first day I got seven. Okay. Um, and the third day, which that video should be out tomorrow, actually, the day after we record this podcast, I should have had seven, and I just fluffed too many opportunities. Mm. But um, I was really hoping to get seven drakes. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> it really wasn't a big deal for me, but it's like, hey, it would be cool to get seven green heads. Yeah. And uh, came close that first day, one hen and uh, never could get it done. So still have something to check off the bucket list and head back out there for, for sure. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely super cool. Yeah. And you kind of think about that area and you you think almost like you can kind of see it from that first day, but almost, I don't know how to describe it. Foggy, rainy type terrain and and all that. Just kind of the feel when you think about hunting the Pacific Northwest. So um definitely cool on that but you told me too you're you're talking about seeing birds out there and and big big numbers out on on like mud flats yeah so the last day we actually we just did like a quick little hunt because i also wanted to try to get in a gold night out there so we did a quick little morning hunt on a spot where there was potential for gold night unfortunately they didn't didn't make an appearance or well they did make an appearance but not in the spread and then uh, we basically just rode around for like the middle of the day just to kind of check out some scenery and rode down to uh, basically the river Delta area and bunch of mud flats out there. And we were driving down the highway and I just started screaming and I look over and Scott's like, what is going on with you? Like, look <laughs> at all these ducks. And I mean, there was every bit of three to 5,000 ducks and there was probably 15,000 ducks. There's three different rafts of three to 5,000 widgeon and mallards just feeding out there on those mud flats. He's like, Oh yeah, no one ever hunts them too shallow. Um, you know, no one's, no one's going out. No one's crazy enough to go out there in a kayak. So that was probably the most mind blowing of, of my, my most mind blowing sight of my whole time out there was just seeing all those birds and then hearing that basically no one ever hunts them. So is the the thought on that like nobody goes out there because it's too much work or it's unsafe being on big water that far out or or what's I think the it's just too yeah I think it's just too much work I mean it's like it looked really shallow there and Scott said it was pretty shallow like six to twelve inches so I mean you could probably get a mud boat in there but still it, it would be a tough ask and you know getting obviously you can get probably get in there on plane but then 
getting set up and getting back out would probably be a bit of a challenge. So you really yeah. have to take a kayak out there and there's really no hide on those mud flats. So you'd have to take a kayak that's already well brushed in and try and just set it up out in the middle. Mm. Um, and I mean, if you have, you know, 15,000 ducks in the river Delta and they're rafting up like that, I mean, good luck competing with all those live birds if they start rafting up somewhere else. So I'm sure it's probably a little more challenging than it seems, but I don't know, man. Fifteen thousand. If you can get close, it's a, it seems like you'd have a pretty good chance, even if if yeah, they started rafting you know, up somewhere else. Fresh birds. Yeah, I, I think. Mm-hmm. I think you would definitely get some shooting out there. So, I think that's something I'm going to have to <laughs> hopefully try next year because oh, I just can't get that sight out of my head. It's like one of those, you know, when you see that amount of birds, it's just burned into your brain, and that's kind of how it is for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I feel like I could get the duck torpedo out there, but it would be twelve inches. Twelve inches, we could do it, but it's like that because I'm I'm thinking about this year and places I've I've taken it. So the duck torpedo, it's a small sneak boat. It's pretty light. It's actually super light. Wood over or fiberglass over wood with a long tail mud motor. Um, I think if you had a surface drive on something like that, it sounds like you'd have a better chance of getting back on plane, but. Um, like there's places where we go where people can't kayak through because the kayaks hitting the bottom, you have to get out and pull it. And if I just go full force through it, I'm on plane and I go through it like nothing. So, you know, that's, yeah, it would definitely be interesting. You have a lot of, you have a lot of confidence in that duck torpedo. You from every time we've brought up a spot about hunting the duck, (laughs) yeah, I can do it. I can do it. Dude. Cause there's just no, there's nothing I haven't been able to do with it yet. Like, like I'm saying, like we went in there the first time we hunted it this year, the spot I'm talking about, we took kayaks in there and we couldn't get in. We had to get out and walk and like in the dark, super sketchy. You don't like, like people could fall in or, you know, whatever, you know? Uh, And then like the next time I went, man, I just, I just said, let's send it. And (laughs) just went full force with the duck torpedo instead of taking kayaks and canoes and like literally just went over all of it. Didn't, didn't have any issue at all and it was like i want to say i'm trying to think i mean how far does a kayak sit in the water where it hits on something i mean we're talking inches of water yeah it depends i mean i think kayak different kayaks draft differently yeah. i know i can get my my discovery 119 and some super skinny stuff and that's what i was probably, in yeah i'd say probably i'd say mine probably loaded down with decoys and everything probably drafts around six inches okay yeah i was gonna say like three or four but it's probably probably a little deeper for sure. So, yeah, but yeah, I would like, I I think hands down, I can put the duck torpedo against anything that doesn't need to be portage because we can't portage that thing very well. (laughs) We've learned from experience. So um, I was going to say before the season, that was, that was a different story before the season. It was, we can portage the duck torpedo anywhere. I mean, with the right, with the right tools, you could just need a winch on the back of the bus Need a winch on the front of the duck torpedo, one of the two, and then I mean, take off the mud motor. You can carry the you can carry the dang thing. You can carry the mud motor. Mud motor only weighs like 130 pounds. A smaller one, like my 13 horse, weighs 130 pounds. I bet the boat weighs just a little bit more than that. So, yeah, I think you I think you should put a winch on the front of that thing. I think it would be a good addition to it. <laughs> another another off season project for Jordan. Oh man, if I told you my list right now, 
I was gonna say it's oh man, my off season list is is already ridiculous. You think that I'd be looking forward to off season the amount of time I I spend thinking and planning about off season plans. So, but no, I'm, I'm living in the here and now, man. I'm I'm hustling after the ducks. But as soon as off season, yeah, I'll be I'll be hammering that stuff. So yeah, you ended you ended. Let's hear about that last day of the hunt. You, you talked about. I mean, was it every day pretty similar going in the boat? The the boat. Yeah, I mean, the first three days were relatively similar. I guess the difference was the first two days we set up on the shoreline, which is like Scott was saying is more of a duck setup. Um, you can still get geese in, but the, it was weird. The wind, the wind was always swirling in that bay. It was never one steady direction. So setting up on the shoreline kind of made it tough to decoy geese because when that wind was swirling, they would just have a tough time setting up right. Mm. So then the the third day we set up out in the middle on one of his docks and uh, with the hope of getting some geese. Of course, that was the day the geese didn't really fly, but um, the ducks still worked into the open water as well. So that was cool to kind of see the difference between the shoreline setup and the uh, the more open water setup. Yeah. And then the last day we did um, a little um, shoreline hunt without the boat that was targeting the golden eye. And then in the afternoon, chase some pheasants around or tried to chase some pheasants around. Did you, did you end up getting any golden eye? Nope. That day, that last hunt we had, I don't know, probably I'd have to say between 50 and a hundred golden eye and they would just fly left to right and land about 150 yards to the right. And by the time I realized what was going on, it was kind of too late and I had two mallards in the decoy. So I just shot one of them and that was basically the end of the hunt. Oh yeah. So you, I thought you said uh, earlier that you almost shot your, your seven mallards. Oh, that was on the first day. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that golden eye hunt was the last day. Gotcha. Yep. Nice. Yep. And I've heard that golden eye really only decoy to golden eye decoys. So, I don't know if that was part of the problem or not because we saw them even when we were hunting out in the out in the bay out of the boat blind, but they just wouldn't really give us a look. The buffalo heads had come through, but golden mm. eyes really didn't want to have anything to do with us. How many golden? Have you shot a golden eye before? I've shot one hen. Okay, man, I've shot a few, and they decoy. Of all the divers, man, they decoy the closest to like a mallard. Like they'll drop out of the sky sometimes to decoy in kind of crazy huh yeah i would love to see that yeah i didn't realize how the, how distinctive their wings were i mean i've always heard them be called whistlers but um it was cool to really hear them hear that whistle yeah i mean you can hear that hundreds of yards away it's pretty crazy like mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll see them straight up high flying and you just hear it and you look up and i mean their wings whistle like crazy yeah yeah i wonder if that was like a evolutionary thing or if it was just accidental or what because I was thinking about that out there, I would think it would be almost a disadvantage for them to have a whistling wing. Maybe I can't think of really too much of a disadvantage, though, right? Because it's like I don't think any avian predators are going to catch them while they're full flight flying, right? Mm, a falcon would for sure. Hmm. Yeah, think. yeah. I guess, yeah, they do fly faster, but <laughs> you just don't see it too much. Usually when they get taken, it's like on the ice or something like that, just sitting still, yeah. and a bird swoops through, and bam, there goes there goes the the duck. But 
Definitely, yeah. definitely an interesting thought. I guess that's, that's a question that's probably above both of our <laughs> Yeah, it's probably a, a question for Delta or, or something like that. For uh, yeah. uh, what, uh, John Devney. He'd probably he'd yeah. probably know the answer. But yeah, so you got uh you got any uh, big plans coming up after getting back? Um, I'm actually headed up to New York here pretty much the day after Christmas, going up there for three days, uh, to hunt Long Island area and uh try and get my first brant down. That's uh kind of the the target of the trip, but I just really want to go experience that Long Island waterfowling culture. Nice. Um, uh, going out with someone who a guy named Larry, who he actually used to live down here on the Eastern shore of Virginia, but he's originally from that long Island area and he's moved back up there. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to hunting with him. He's a, you know, waterman by waterman by trade. So I think it'll be a really fun experience kind of seeing the waterman life and how he goes about hunting up there. That's really what I love about hunting different areas is, is going out i love freelancing by myself but going out with other people and seeing how they hunt an area and kind of learning from them i think that's probably the coolest thing about you know traveling i'll say you probably traveled more than anybody else in the the flyways this year i mean you got licenses to virginia north carolina do you have one to south carolina you didn't make it that far south nope uh idaho idaho and then new york so (laughs) you've made your you made your rounds this year North Dakota too. North Dakota, there we go. And that's the one I'm forgetting. I knew there's I knew there's another one. So that's five states. Man, I've only been to two this year, which is a little bit low for me. Um I'm Elliot's only been in Kansas. Josh maybe he's gone to Nebraska, so he's had two. Matt's just he's got two. He went to ne- to Colorado and Nebraska. And then Titus, I think he's just gone to Idaho and California. So Matt went to Wyoming too. Did he? Yeah, no, he Matt definitely hunted Wyoming. Yeah, you're right. But really, my trips have just been like opportunistic. I mean, I really only went over to North North Dakota because I was working over in Minnesota. I really only went to Idaho because I had a plane ticket. North Carolina is a. I mean, it's worked out good for you. I feel like every every time you've gone out of state, man, you've crushed it. I wouldn't say every time, but I'm definitely <laughs> glad I have. I mean, I think traveling has opened up my opened up my. Uh, my eyes to a lot of different styles of waterfowl hunting that I just never knew existed. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Uh, definitely would like to get out and travel more. Um, I will, I did have, did have one question t- thinking about your Idaho, but how was it, uh, how was it flying with a gun? I hate flying to flying to hunt. Honestly, I'd so much rather drive. It really isn't that hard to fly with a gun. Um, it's actually really easy. You just, basically put it in a lock or a hard-sided case with a lock on it or two locks on it um and then they give you a slip and or they fill out a slip and you sign it and you put it in the gun case and it's really easy um it's another obviously bag to check but i just hate trying to bring all my gear out there on the plane you know you get one carry-on and one personal item and then besides that you have to check bags and then also flying back with your meat is kind of a pain so can you i'd much much rather drive can you fly like can you wear your waders on the plane? I mean, I'm sure you could, but <laughs> you'd roast. <laughs> I think so, yeah. You could just take it's them off. Just wear them yeah. in there, take them off. Take them off. You'd probably get some weird looks, but I mean, we're duck hunters, we're used to that anyway. Yeah, I'm just thinking about your baggage issue, you know. 
take it down a little bit because you get charged like on the size of your your baggage, right, and the weight and all that. Or um, no, not really. I mean, I think typically it's like a flat fee for checked bags. I know, like when I flew, it was like thirty five for one and forty five for two. Okay. Um, so really not that bad. But I actually didn't bring waiters out to Idaho. He was Scott told me he was like, "You're not going to need waiters," and he was right. I didn't didn't need waiters. That's crazy. It really felt weird. That was probably honestly the weirdest thing about that whole trip was hunting in <laughs> muck boots the whole time. Yeah, I bet. I felt like I felt completely out of my element. <laughs> I feel like I'd get cold because I just wouldn't know how to dress without you know. I'd put my sweatpants on and be like, "Oh, what, like what do I do now?" <laughs> no, yeah, I had I just have a pair of bibs, waterproof bibs. There you so go. That's what I wore. Yeah, yeah. That'll do the trick. Yep. And my feet got wet a couple couple times trying to set GoPros and stepping in holes, but I mean Ugh. my feet never killed that killed anybody. <laughs> I guess that's probably not true. Probably have killed someone, but that's probably true, know. yeah. Especially with frostbite. I wouldn't like that, man. I hate getting my feet wet wet. I hate getting uh you know, if you top your waders, man. I've had that happen I think just once this year. And on that hunt, I mean, took off the waders, dumped them off, dumped them out. It was just under the freezing. And, I mean, you just get way cold way faster with, with wet feet. So I'm not a fan. Yeah, that's true. I'm just probably pretty used to to wet wet inside of my waders because I fall over so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I fall over just about every other hunt, it seems like, to Man. some degree. I'm really, really bad at walking in the swamp. <laughs> Or my or the swamps are just really really thick. I don't know which it is yet. Yeah, I think man, we we hunt somewhat similar terrain compared to everybody else. You know, in the in the flyways where they hunt those prairie marshes, hard bottom, like the stuff we hunt in. It's got a bunch of deadfall trees, limbs, stumps, and then mucky bottom. And it's like you almost have to like feel your way through it with your feet and like take super careful steps just to see if you're even going to have like somewhere for your foot, not, you know, to kind of stop. And then you get a twist to break the suction and yeah, it it can be, uh, it can be treacherous. Yeah. I really want to, I think honestly the time I probably 90% of the time I've fallen over in the last couple of years. Cause I've, I feel like I've got pretty decent at walking in the swamp. It's like when I'm going to chase a crippled bird or just, you know, going to pick up a bird in a hurry. That's like almost always when I fall. So Hopefully have a dog here next year and alleviate some of those wet mornings. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Are you uh are you gonna get a pup or are you gonna get a trained dog or what's your what's your plan? No, pup puppy for sure. Yeah. Okay. So I, it'll at least really be a couple years, a couple seasons till you get the benefits. Eh, yeah, probably. I mean I would I'm I don't know if I want to run, you know, kind of force the issue and get one. I've been thinking hard about getting one in like February and I probably wouldn't hunt it hard the first season, but maybe take it out a couple times on easy hunts and then hopefully have it ready to go for the second season. But I'm yeah. just trying to weigh if it weigh if it's really a smart thing to do since I'm still living at college this spring. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a know. tough one, man. I really, I, I really it, want to have a puppy at college but I also really don't want to have a puppy at college. Yeah. It goes like both ways. Do it, man. I, I say do it if I'm, <laughs> which sometimes I give bad advice, but it'd be fun, but there would be a lot more responsibility too. So, um, but the good thing about having a pup, I'm mean, going to talk about socialization with a pup. 
it'd be super easy in college. And they say you want to at least like, I can't remember the number. They say some amount of number of people you want the dog to socialize with every day. It's like if you're at home by yourself, man, when I first got chief, I mean, it's like I'd went to work and, you know, you just don't see a lot of people. You come back home. I live out in the country. There's not as many chances for socialization, but you have that dog at college, man, socializing with everybody. So, but getting one at February and it's already December. I mean, you're not going to be a, you're not be able to be super picky at that point. Yeah, I guess that's true too. I probably need to get around to it. That'd be fun. And like two, you see February. Um, so by the end of the season, yeah, he would be, yeah, he'd be, yeah, he'd be, he'd be young still in season, but chief, I got him. Uh, let's see. I didn't get him in February. He was born in February, but I hunted him that first year at six months old. So don't do that. But by like nine months, 10 months, like that's when Kevin started hunting Kobe. And I mean, Kobe did phenomenal, but I don't, honestly, it's probably with most dogs in most situations, it's usually not the best idea. Just depends how technical you want your dog to be, but you can create some bad habits when they're young opposed to waiting a little bit longer. So I don't know. It's, I see the temptation. I know it's hard to, I know if I was in that, when I'm in that situation again with my second dog, I'll have to figure out what I'm going to do. But yeah, I mean, honestly, it just comes down to the fact like I'm, I'm sick of losing birds. I feel like I've lost maybe half the birds I've lost this season. If I had a, you know, even, even a young dog, I -hmm. think I would have cut it, cut that in half. So yeah, it's just, just a conservation tool. And obviously having a hunting partner would be awesome as well. Once you hunt with a dog, you'll never, you'll never go back. It's just, I don't know, man. It's like, they enjoy it as much as you, you know? I mean, they live Mm -hmm. for it. They live for it. I mean, they don't have anything else in life. That's like, a hobby you think about that's a weird way of saying it for a dog but i mean they just love it and like i said conservation tool too man it's like it's amazing watching a dog work and the stuff they can pull off i don't know if you've seen like the last few videos man chief has just been on point with everything and i he's mean been killing it. he's been he's been awesome like that last retrieve he had in the last video to finish off the limit i mean he came out of there he didn't know where the bird was at I just pointed in there, told him to hunt. He turned around, went in there, and it was like 15 seconds later, he comes back, and that bird was alive still. That thing was alive, mm-hmm. swimming around, and he got right on it. It's like, man, you would have never found it because like, that stuff in particular, which I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but uh, this retrieve, but uh, that stuff in there <clears throat> was unweightable. You couldn't walk through it, and all the cat cattails were on bogs, so... Um, I couldn't get the boat in there. I couldn't walk in there, but chief could like swim through between them. And he, I mean, most dogs don't even want to get into that because of that stuff. is just really hard to walk around or swim around for them. And he went in there and did it and he was already tired and got the bird. I was super impressed with him on that one. So made my heart swell. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. You seemed really proud of him, and I mean, right, rightfully so. And really, I mean, get the benefit, seeing the benefits of a dog. I mean, Chief was one of the first dogs where I really got to see that. I mean, I remember that first time we hunted together in the uh, out in Kansas for the first collab. I feel like I would have lost a couple birds that day if it wasn't for Chief. So, um, hopefully, 
hopefully I'll have my own mini chief here before too long. But. <laughs> uh, man, I'm trying to get chief doesn't have papers. This is the issue with chief. He doesn't have papers. I've been asked multiple times by people in messages like, Hey, um, like, will you breed chief with my dog or something like that? I'm like, Hey, just want to let you know, chief doesn't have papers. So it's probably a no go. And I just, for that reason, I hadn't wanted to, but like the older it gets, the more I'm like, you know what? It'd be cool to have a pup from chief. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I wish I could at some point. I just don't know that anybody's going to um, want to do it without him having papers. But, like, I mean, his genetics, I mean, he has drive like you wouldn't believe. He's a good-looking dog, and I know I'm biased. I say this when I talk about him every time because I <laughs> I don't want to be, like, I don't want to be uh, ignorant to the fact that everybody's biased about their own dog. It's like when you see grandparents talking about, a grandkid, they always say, like, they're the smartest, and they've done this, and they've walked first, and they talk in such good sentences, unlike that sentence I just strung together. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I don't want to be like that with Chief. But anyways, he has. I feel like he has. He's a great hunting dog. Yeah, He's, uh, you know, got great hunting genetics. So, anyways, at some point, if I can find somebody... Like, I, I was trying to get Swamp Man with his dog. He wants to have pups, but he wants to have somebody that has papers so that he can sell them out to people and all that. But it's like, man, at some point, if I came across the right person with the right dog that didn't care about him not having papers, I'm probably going to have dog people coming at me for this one because I'm not a dog expert. I don't know if there's some issue that I'm not thinking of on this, but it's like, if you have a good hunting dog, and I don't know. I don't know if his dad had papers or not. I know his mom did, but I don't know about the dad. It was, he was a farm dog that i got for 125 bucks you know i won i won the lottery (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i'm really not i'm not i don't know much about it either i would think as long as he has health certifications though which i mean you can get those done even without papers i believe that's true just gives hip hip size and everything i mean that's the most important thing just make sure that you're not gonna be you know making puppies that are gonna have any health issues yeah on that i mean it's it's just it's just a pedigree which is really just I think a pedigree is like a lottery or I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, like a lottery ticket. Basically like you have better odds if you have a better pedigree, but yep. it's still it comes down to your training at the end of the day. If you take a dog with an incredible pedigree and ruin him with your training, you're going to have a terrible gun dog. Yeah. I think when you we talk about pedigree, you can make a lot of mistakes though. If you have a dog that has really high draw drive for finding birds and retrieving birds, then you can overcome a lot of the issues dogs end up having with hunting, you know, um, where they don't want to, if, if they're first starting out and they don't understand the game and they don't want to go after the birds or cold water or whatever, you can overcome that with drive, you know, a lot of those issues. So that's where it comes with pedigree. A lot of that stuff's kind of bred into them over generations, but I don't know. I don't know. At some point, if, if I could find somebody who wanted to breed with chief and then get one of his pups, that'd be awesome. So all that to say, I wish it was right now. Then you could have one of Chief's pups. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty cool. So you, you made cool. me think of it when you said mini Chief. <laughs> yeah, I don't even, I guess I really need to start thinking. I don't even know what, what breed I want or what, like, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards a lab, but if I get a lab, I'm not even sure what color I want to get. So I really need to sit down and do some thinking about it. It's just hard right here in the middle of season. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys, you heard it. You heard it here first. Hit me up. Thomas needs a chief puppy. 
<laughs> uh, someone's definitely going to educate us about pedigrees and everything. Uh, they are. They are. They'll say you were wrong about it. And we, there's a good chance we are. We're just talking, you know, two, two bros talking about something we don't really know about. So all I know is I like Chief, and I feel like I'd like his son. So. He gets the job done. Yeah, I mean, I've got to hunt over like a, a couple dogs that you know were extremely well trained, great pedigrees. I've also hunted over some dogs that were just like, you know, I don't want to use the word, but backyard breed dogs <laughs> that were you know not trained to the highest standard and kind of just learn from experience. And it really opened to my eyes how much dogs can learn from experience. That obviously it takes a longer time, but I've seen a couple dogs. Um, my buddy um chase's dog wade he's really um has like come into his own year after year and learned the game kind of like how you talk about how chief learned the game so i mean yeah i mean dogs are smart they they learn things and obviously you can help them along with training but i mean having a hunting partner that finds your birds i mean that's the name of the game at the end of the day right yeah yeah the birds you can't find makes your hunts more successful it's like that hunt um where we shot the three-man limit and the black duck um, I mean, I just, I didn't have to do anything, but point him into the water. You know, we had to go in the boat once and we had to go up, um, up in the cattails once, but besides that, it was just point him into the water and let him go, you know? So that, that increases your odds too. Cause if you have to, if you're leaving birds in your decoys, you're having birds flare out, you know, before they finish completely. If you're, uh, having to go retrieve them yourself or worry about that, you know? that just increases a lot of stuff you're doing. That's not sitting there and shooting birds. So a lot of benefits yep. to having a dog, but kind of back to what you're saying with like a backyard breeds. I, I like to call it more like the meat dogs compared to the, the competition dogs is kind of what I, you know, I'd call it a meat dog. And you know, the phrase I always say it, you know, dirt under the feet is what makes a dog. And it's like, if if you hunt a dog 50 times a year, they're going to figure out that game. So <laughs> I think it's a little bit yep. easier in our situation where we hunt a lot. But if someone, you know, is only going to hunt a handful of times a year, it's probably a little bit harder to get um, a dog without really great genetics to perform as well. It's like you said, they learn it over time and they learn it over experience. Yep. Yep. And there's definitely going to be some, some mess ups along the way. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's part of the game all the time. Mm hmm. Where do you, are you got any, any states you're thinking about traveling to right now besides Indiana, you know, getting down to the South zone, <laughs> man, I've thought about it. Um, you know, it, all, it always comes down to like time I can get off work and all that. Um, you know, I got some time coming up around Christmas and all that. And I've thought about it. I'm like, man, what if I could do is just like a nice little three day trip or something, but I don't have anything planned for that. And then I honestly, I was just talking to the Kevins about trying to do some timber hunting in January. Don't know how good that'd be. I'm going to talk to some people who've done it, gone out there, public public land in Arkansas in January, but that's the stuff on my radar right now. Besides that, it's probably, you know, staying, staying with the, the tried and true local spots, going up to Michigan for the second split. But beyond that, you know, I don't know. I, I, I I'm hoping to do arkansas in january what do you what do you uh you know anything about that Mm, not really i think we have a mutual contact though who's who's uh said that they would set up a hunt for us if we got down there though so maybe we can get out that way 
as long as you're not too late in January, because I'll be starting school back up then. But uh, oh, I definitely yeah. want to try and try and get out to the to the Central or Mississippi Flyway one more time before the season ends. Nice. Yeah, I know we kind of were messing around with Matt the other day talking about Iowa. Then I looked, Iowa's not even open. So <laughs> my thought, man, I would have loved to get out somewhere where I could get ducks and pheasant. You know, that'd be a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah. I don't think you're going to get any ditch chickens in Arkansas. No, I, I think the the ditch chickens they have over there are the white variety. <laughs> Snow geese is that what you call? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Maybe I'd get a snow. Can you shoot snows in timber? <laughs> mm, I definitely have seen it done on really. Before I don't, I don't think it's common. I think it's like a snow goose passes over and gets past shot. Gotcha. But, I, mean, uh, I was kind of joking, but I feel like I've definitely <clears throat> seen a video where they shot a snow goose in the timber, though. Man, I've had. I think I've had half a dozen people tell me that uh, to go watch the hunting publics videos because of all the ducks they're seeing right now. <laughs> In Arkansas, <laughs> like, yep, yeah, that's nice. I'm never going to figure out where they're hunting, though. Yeah, <laughs> they do a pretty good job at hiding their locations. At least, at least I, I've watched a lot of their videos in Virginia, as I've never been able to figure out where where they're hunting. Yeah, if you know the area, you usually can figure out like, oh, they're hunting in the bottom half of the state or something like that. So, yeah, yep, but. But it's it's actually, I mean, it seems like I always find the most ducks when I'm turkey or deer hunting or doing something other than duck hunting. It's like yeah. every time I turkey hunt in the spring, I find like four or five new spots where I'm like, I got to come back here next fall. And then you hunt all your ones you've hunted years past and don't make it back. That's that's yeah, how it goes exactly. for me. Yep. Nope. Same for me. Or this year, I have all these new spots. It's my last year at college. I just found these spots last year. I'm like, all right, one more year, I'm going to hit these spots super hard. Every single one of them bone dry, no water. So <laughs> that's been that's been a kick in the kick in the nuts. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, you definitely need more than one year at spots to know how they're gonna be and how they're gonna react. It's like it really comes down to man, you got to take time during season to scout, and that's when it's the hardest, especially for you know for us because you hunt and you scout, and we got videos to edit, and you're traveling all around and school and jobs and all that. I mean, everybody, everybody's busy. I shouldn't say just us, but, um, yeah, it makes it hard. But my biggest success this year is finding time after hunts to scout and knock on doors, not like not in the off season. I don't know why. Just, just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe my opinion will change over the years, but this year has been like, I don't know, man, every time I, I knock on doors, I'm just like getting yeses where in the past it's been just, no, I don't know what's going on. So maybe you just got more likable. Dude, I've doubled my, I think I've doubled my spots this year. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's awesome. That yeah. is really good. Like it's to the point where we're like, okay, we got, we got too many to like choose from now. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wish good, I had that problem. A good problem to have. Now, like I said, I've used to say it's just impossible to get spots this year. I've just, I think I've just got lucky. Yeah. Or maybe, I mean, it seems that like asking permission is a very, the the success rate on is very localized like out in north dakota it was way easier than virginia in virginia we're like one yes for every 10 no's out in north dakota it was like 50 50 um mm. and then even around different parts of virginia you know you go to the less densely populated areas and you're going to get more yeses it seems like there's just yeah. less people asking 
and less people using the land for hunting in general. Yeah. 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 Our biggest, uh, you know, definitely agree with you on that with, uh, rural areas compared to, you know, urban areas or, or, or people that understand hunting versus people that don't is, you know, the best way to put it. People that have grown up hunting or have family that hunt, you know, they're more likely to, to allow people to hunt. But our biggest problem with that is because those, those are the people I always target to ask, but the people that you're, we're always kind of competing against are the deer hunters. And most of the time when we get a no, it's because there's a deer hunter already hunting it or deer hunters already hunting it or something like that. So every once in a while, yeah, you find the spot where, where it's grandpa's farm and he lets people hunt, but also he doesn't care if you duck hunt. So yeah, that, that's the that's the gold mine. That's the gold mine, but I'm sure the deer hunters are not happy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, I mean, luckily our, our our deer season here goes out like January 5th, and then obviously we run through the end of January. So even when you get those people, they're like, "Oh, I have a deer hunter." It's like, well, it's it's fine. We'll still get four weeks to hunt, three weeks to hunt. Yeah. After deer season goes out. Yeah, that's so, nice for sure. Unfortunately, our deer season goes to the end of duck season. Like they just line up perfectly mm. pretty much start to finish. You need to talk to your DNR about that. Write a formal <laughs> complaint. Yeah. Can we reduce deer hunting season? <laughs> <laughs> start a petition. See how that one goes. Oh man. We'll have, yeah, that won't go good in a deer hunting state. Indiana is not known for being a duck hunting state. We'll say that. Are y'all known for being a deer hunting state? Uh, more so. I mean, not as much as like Iowa or Wisconsin or Ohio, but like we're surrounded by all those. And it's, I mean, we have good deer hunting here. Okay. And can y'all use rifles there? Or is it yep. like Iowa where it's just shotguns? You, it used to be shotguns, but what was it? Maybe eight years ago, they changed it where you can use rifles. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think the reason behind that was just it being a flat state. A rifle just travels a long way. So, Do you have to be off the ground when using a rifle? Um, the- man, I'm a duck hunter. You're asking the wrong questions. But as far as I know, you don't have to be off the ground. But you know, I just want to say that I'm I I have not read up on that enough to be like 100 percent sure. So this I don't is, I don't own nice. a hunting rifle, so I don't have to worry about that. If I go deer hunting during gun season, it's with a shotgun. Okay. Yeah. So I was going to say, this is, this is not legal advice. Yeah. Not legal advice. Like the financial advice people say. Yes. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll get, uh, I'll get messages for sure. People letting me know (laughs) one way or the other. Taking you down a rabbit trail. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All righty. Well, I feel like this is probably a good place to go ahead and wrap her up. You got any closing thoughts or anything? Nope. I just, I hope we get some weather here and hope we both have a good end to our, uh, end to our waterfowl seasons. Oh Stay yeah. Safe out there for sure. Appreciate you having me on again, Jordan. Yeah, man. Glad to have you on any, any time. So glad to, glad to talk duck hunting with Mr. Hoke outdoors, which <laughs> guys, you can find him on all social media. Well, most social media, Facebook, you got Hoke outdoors, Instagram, Hoke outdoors, and YouTube, Hoke Outdoors, he'll probably still even pop up if you search Virginia Outdoors Unlimited. So um, yeah, look him up, guys. Will, he, is, he is killing it this year. He's just 
from every, every place he goes, he's making great content, having some stellar hunting. So kudos to you for having a, a great season and putting out great content. Appreciate it. Likewise. Awesome. All righty, fellas. That's all we got for this week. I'm Jordan from Duck and Chronicles, Thomas from Hoke Outdoors, and we'll see you guys on the next one.